I uh, want to speak tonight on power is for everyone. Power is for everyone. Could you describe, I wonder, your life as what Eugene, Eugene Peterson translates in the message version of the Bible as, as endless energy, boundless strength? Could you uh, relate to that, I wonder? Or does that seem unrealistic? Maybe more than a little bit naive. Maybe you're facing an energy crisis right now. Uh, not just the energy crisis of uh, your energy bills, uh, but also uh, the bill of your life. And you're realizing actually you've got the bill for your life and you're in deficit. And you need the power to overcome that thing. That seems all too much. Perhaps it's the power to forgive. Or maybe, uh, maybe you'd say, actually, Jamie, I don't need power for anything right now. I'm not particularly interested in God. I'm not particularly interested in advancing his kingdom. So I don't need God's power. Uh, thank you very much. And yet, and yet, Paul says that endless energy, boundless strength is the normal Christian life. That power we read in, in verse 19 is for everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. And Paul says to the church in Ephesus, you're doing well. You're doing well. You have faith in the Lord Jesus. He says in verse 15, you have faith in the Lord Jesus and love for all God's people. And when I read that, I thought, well, surely that's enough. I mean, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and a love for God's people. I mean, they're the two greatest commandments. What more can you possibly do? And not only do these people have, have love for God's people, they have love for all of God's people. I mean, could Paul even say that about the church today? But Paul says you're still missing something. Verse 18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. There's more that they need to see. Last week, I uh, went for a regular eye test. I say regular, actually, in reality, uh, I know that you're supposed to go uh, every two years, but it's actually been five years since I've had uh, my last eye test. And uh, uh, basically, because of the pandemic, and I just sort of kept putting it off, and life has been busy, I've kept phoning up um, phoning them up and saying, uh, can you just delay me a few more weeks? And, uh, but I knew I should have gone to Specsavers, so uh, I, I popped down uh, to Clapham Junction, and I went in, and it was fascinating. You know, they, have, uh, they did this thing called an, an, an optical uh, coherence tomography scan, where they did a 3D mapping of my eyes and my retina, and uh, I realized that their technology was a powerful thing, but also the human eye is a powerful thing too. And uh, after five years, of no eye tests, and last time I went for an eye test, they said, you're just off 2020 vision for the first time. I'm the only person in my family not to have glasses, and I thought, this is the time. They're going to say, Jamie, it's time to get some glasses. But to my surprise, they actually said, Jamie, your eyesight has improved since last time. I know. I wish, <laughs> I wish the same could be said for everything. Um, but. Uh, but I had no idea. I just thought that, that eyesight was something that just gradually gets worse over time, but not necessarily. Your eyesight can improve over time. And what Paul is saying here is that the, the eyes of your heart can be enlightened. The eyes of your heart, they can improve. And uh, when he says the eyes of your heart, he's not being dualistic here. You know, you hear Christians all the time talking about uh, your, your knowledge dropping from your head knowledge to your heart knowledge. 
And Paul would have no idea what you're talking about. Because in the ancient world, the, the heart uh, both described uh, people's thinking, but also their feelings. And so what Paul is, is saying here is that in verse 18, you can know Jesus better in, in a holistic way. And so uh, even though he's so thankful for these people, he is not satisfied with them. Because he's saying you're not seeing it, you're not, you're not getting it yet. And Paul says what they're, what they're not yet seeing is this. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know and experience these things about Jesus. Three different things. The first thing is that the hope to which God has called you. The hope to which God has called you. If your life feels hopeless and meaningless and futile right now, that is not the life that God has called you to. It's God, he has called you to a life of hope. And that is a life of, of hope both in the future, but it's also a life of hope right now. And that's what we looked at last week. And, and, and Paul is saying here, I want your eyes to be open to all the blessing, all the blessing that we've just looked at. And so if you're here tonight, you want to know what is my purpose in life? What is my calling in life? Well, can I suggest that there is no greater calling, there is no greater purpose than the calling to follow Jesus Christ. So start with that. That's the, that's the first thing. The second thing uh, that Paul mentions is the riches of God's glorious inheritance in his holy people. You may have noticed that as Becky did that reading tonight, that on the screen we had uh, one word, and on, in what she said was a different word, and, and that's great, because um, on the screen we had, uh, I think it was, uh, God's uh, holy people, and she said saints. And then the two different translations uh, that we see here in this passage. And it's, it's why I love that our touch rugby group are called the Clapham Saints, uh, because that is, our, uh, that is our calling. That is who we are. That's our identity now is to be God's saints, to be God's holy people. Uh, and Paul, he, he also speaks about inheritance. Inheritance. And the surprising thing here is that Paul doesn't actually speak about our inheritance. I mean, Paul speaks elsewhere about our inheritance. He did that last week. We see that in verse 14. But here he actually speaks about God's inheritance. I think so often we, we tend to think, well, the gospel is all about uh, things that happen to me, things that happen to me, and it's all about uh, me getting what I need in order for me to get to heaven. But God is also looking forward to eternity. God is longing for eternity. And what is, what is God's inheritance? Because Paul writes here about God's inheritance. And God, he doesn't need any more stuff. God doesn't need any more things. What God is looking forward to in eternity is you. You are what he is looking forward to in eternity. And that's why he came, that's why he died, that's why he rose again, that's why he made you. Because he's looking forward to spending eternity with you. And he is longing, he is waiting, he is believing for that moment when he gets to see you face to face. You have immense value. You have infinite value because of the value that Jesus Christ placed on your life. So you have a calling, you have a future, you also have immense value and immense worth. And, and, and do you see Jesus like that? Do you see those things when you see Jesus Christ? Your calling, do you see your value? But do you also see that you have power? 
in verse 19, Paul writes uh, about God's incomparably great power for us who believe. And from here on, Paul takes us on something of a power trip, a little tour of all the different ways in which we can experience and know God's power. And every word is charged. Every word matters. And it would take us hours to do a Bible study of this section. But take, for instance, a word he uses as a comparing word. Actually, he says it's it's incomparable. You can't compare. Uh, The word epibalon in the Greek, this this word that means all-surpassing, way beyond, infinite power. And Paul is saying, so all the things that you're up against in your life, place all those things in one column, and then place God in the other column. You can't compare the two. It's like chalk and cheese. And he doesn't just uh, compare the power here, but he also uses a word to describe the the kind of power, the quality of power that is is living in us who believe. It's energy, a dynamis, like like the word dynamic. And and Jesus, he wants to be dynamis. He wants to be dynamic in your life. He wants to to be speaking to you, leading you, revealing things to you all the time. That sense of, 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 of it being dynamic. It's dynamis is the same root word we get for dynamite. And that's the explosive power that we, we have inside those of us who believe. Paul says it's the same power. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the grave. And that is, that is the power. That is the power to go from death to life. It's the power to heal the sick. It's even the power, even the miracle of taking people who are spiritually dead and bringing them back to life. If you think my life is not a life of power, I don't experience power, maybe start with this. Maybe start with salvation. Maybe start with the utter wonder, the dynamic of Jesus having saved you. What did John Newton sing? I once was blind, but now I see. His eyes had been opened. His eyes had been enlightened to all Jesus is and what Jesus had done for him. We also see Jesus' power here in terms of authority. Authority. Not just authority over death as we've just been hearing about, but also we read in verse 20 that the Father seated Jesus at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. So Jesus has power over evil. And anything that is coming against you, sin, temptation, addiction, whatever it may be, Jesus' power is so incomparably greater than the power of that evil. And evil does not get the final word in your life. Jesus has the power to break those things, both now and in the future. We also see in Verse 22, the the power that Jesus has as as head of the church. And that is why we can say with confidence, that is why we put a banner on the side of our church that says church is for everyone. Because Jesus is the head of this church. And Jesus is for everyone. He's for all people, always, everywhere. And so when we begin, when we begin to have the eyes of our hearts enlightened to see the power that Jesus has, we can begin to to grasp and take hold of the power that we can have too. And that takes us, that takes us from a victim culture to the culture of heaven. We begin to realize that we are a powerful person 
You can make powerful decisions. Life doesn't just happen to us, but we can take hold of things because we have incomparably great, authoritative and dynamic power on offer. And we can see here that in this, in this passage that the whole Trinity, the whole Trinity at work, and, and we see the spirit of wisdom and revelation this spirit of wisdom and revelation, the spirit of Jesus Christ, he wants to, to empower you, to, to fill you with his dynamos power, to, to do things that you never dreamed of, you never would have thought of. What you and I need is not just information, we need revelation from God. And what the Holy Spirit does, he always, always, always points to Jesus Christ. And, and what we see in this passage, what we get a taste of in this passage is there's always more. There's always more for you and me to see of Jesus Christ. There's always more for you and me to, to learn about Jesus Christ. There's always more for you and me to experience of Jesus Christ. Because you and I, we were made for more. But there is a catch. Because this power is a package deal. You and I were called to a life of power. But that means we're also called to a life of people. This morning here on the platform, uh, we had some infant baptisms. And as I'm sure the champagne has stopped flowing, maybe, and the party has ended. At its heart, what baptism is, is about the church. And it's, it's the same at every stage of our lives. If, uh, if you're a fan of Harry Potter, then you would love C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters. And uh, what we see in the screw tape letters is this senior demon uh, called Screw Tape. And he writes to his nephew, uh, the junior tempter Wormwood. And what uh, C.S. Lewis is, is trying to do in this, this work of fiction is, is pointing out to us that the devil is in the detail. That, that there's this assignment that this junior demon has to, to, to make this British man be damned. And this is what he, uh, what, what Screwtape uh, writes to, to Wormwood. He says, surely you know that if a man can't be cured of church going, the next best thing is to send him all over the neighborhood looking for the church that suits him until he becomes a taster or connoisseur of churches. The search for a suitable church makes the man a critic where the enemy, that's God, where God wants him to be a pupil. Does that look like the riches of God's inheritance? The, the great temptation for you and me is to turn Christianity into consumerity. Do not privatize the gospel. Do not individualize your faith and wonder why the power is just draining from you. Maybe uh, like me, maybe like me, you, you've had your battles this week. And uh, this week, I, uh, on, on Wednesday actually, three different people all had specific uh, words of knowledge and pictures uh, for me that they felt God was giving them to, to pass on to me. And they were all highly specific, they were all uh, highly helpful for me. One of them in particular uh, was someone that I met here at the prayer meeting on Wednesday night. I'd never met her before, we'd never uh, spoken before. And she had this picture for me, what she sensed God was saying to me. And it was so pinpoint accurate 
It was so specific to the way that I relate to God. I've only told two or three people in my entire life about this particular aspect of my relationship with God. She had no idea. There's no way that she could have known just how accurate, just how encouraging, just how powerful that picture could be for me. I am so grateful that I'm part of a church that believes in the spirits of wisdom and revelation. And people who are attentive enough, paying attention enough to God, they would listen to him and then pass that on to encourage me. It changed the course of my week. It changed my energy, it changed my power, it changed the way that I looked at this week. And Paul says that he wants the church in in Ephesus not only to, to see Jesus, but also to see the church, to see the church. Because fundamentally, at its heart, the church is not a building. The church are the people, the people gathered here tonight. And and what Paul describes is is those three areas that I was talking about before. They're our our, our hope in God's inheritance and power. All those three things, each and every one of them, they are collective Firstly, the hope of God's call. That is for us to be called to Christ and each other. We see the glory of God's inheritance. The glory of God's inheritance. That's what we see in Revelation chapter seven. That that great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe, every people and language standing there before the throne and before the Lamb. And this is the point of Ephesians that God, he could take the warring Jew and Gentile and join them together. That he would take us out of our pigeonholes and our petty barriers towards one another and unite us in Jesus Christ because of what he did for us on the cross. And then thirdly, the, the, the greatness of God's power. The greatness of God's power culminating in, in Jesus being the head of the church. Have you seen Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? And have you seen the way his eyes burn with love for the church? Burn with love for people who don't yet know him. You know, you you, you may see the church, you may see disgrace, you may see disappointment and division. You may see a church even discarded by society. But Jesus sees everything. For some reason, Jesus will not let us go. The message translation of this bit of Ephesians says that at the center of all of this, at the center of all of this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is is God's grand plan. It's the, the, the centerpiece for humanity, it's the centerpiece of history. So you and I, we we need a deeper revelation of just who we are. What do you see? As I look at London, I see a city not unlike Ephesus, a city full of power and a city full of influence. But when I see Clapham, I see people sleeping rough, I see people who seem to be okay on the surface, but just underneath, they're barely holding it together. I see eye-watering stats about youth violence and crime. 
But then I look again and I, I see Clapham, I see a counseling service on site at HTC. I see the breakfast club and I see robes. And I see people gathering at 6 a.m. during the week to pray for revival. And I look at Clapham and I see people medicating themselves, medicating themselves with lager, medicating themselves with rosé, deeply unfulfilled by the pursuits of pleasure and the pursuits of wealth. I see young people without purpose and meaning. I see mums where it all falls on them and they've got no time for anyone, but they've got no time for themselves. But then I look again and I see the hub and I see people getting the care that they need on Clapham High Street in the evening. I see Monday night youth. I see the homework club and I see Trinity toddlers and I see Trinity babies. And I see people coming from all walks of life, coming here into this building to Alpha, coming here on a Sunday and having the eyes of their hearts being enlightened to just who Jesus is. If you ask others what they see when they see the church, they might say, oh yeah, there is that building, there's that church somewhere on, on the common, somewhere near Megan's. But I see people, I see people spilling out of here on Sundays. I see people spilling out of this church, going to make a, an impact out there, not just the church in here. I see people going to fill everything in every way. But you've got to have eyes to see it. And what do you see? Have you been putting off your eye test just like I was? Because by the end of, of this chapter, what Paul wants us to see, what he wants us to see is that all the riches that Paul writes about here, all those riches, he says this, this mind-boggling thing. He says that all this power, all this possibility for you and me, that, that what we see is all things are put under Jesus' feet for the church, the church, and that we are his body, and he describes us as the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And what on earth does that mean? You know, theologians have scratched their heads over the centuries trying to work out what this means, coming up with all different kinds of theories. One, one theory is that, that somehow we complete Jesus Christ because he is the head and we are the body. But, but you and I know that Jesus is complete, he is perfect and he is supreme. He does not require any completing whatsoever. And we are the church filling everything with him in every way. Not because Jesus, we are filling, we are filling Jesus, but because Jesus fills us. And so my question to you tonight is, are you filled with Jesus? Are you filled with his Holy Spirit?